Welcome to the Meat and Potatoes podcast. Today we're joined by John Eborn, who is the market director for Utah and Idaho for Spherion. Yes, sir. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Very good. I like the new place. It's great. Yeah, thank you. New digs. Yeah, lots of wires, lots of cameras. Oh, that's right. I lights. Like it. I like it's it. It's just nice not to be on Zoom anymore. Oh. Yeah. I agree. 100%. I love it. It's great. All right. So um, you drew a good region with Utah and Idaho. Yeah, right. Fantastic. Perfect timing. So what is Spherion? What is, uh, what is the firm doing? What do you do? So I'm the market director for Spherion. Spherion is a locally owned staffing recruiting franchise, right? We've actually been in Utah for about 30 years, um, but primarily known for general staffing, line industrial, that kind of work. About 15 years ago, uh, a good friend of mine, Ron Zarbach, bought the franchise and has turned it into a, a really great business. He's um, expanded it. We do you know, plus or minus $40 million a year. Um, and we've been doing technical recruiting that whole time, really for the, the better part of a decade or two. And um, Spurion Technology just opened up. We're one of two offices in the country that Spurion has and, and actually, Spherion's owned by Ronstadt, right? So the biggest name in recruiting and staffing in the world. And they uh, wanted to open a couple just technically focused offices. Um, so we pulled, you know, we've, Spherion Utah has won the President's Award for Spherion for six out of seven of the seven last years. So they targeted this office, this economy, this market right now, especially because of our proximity to Silicon Slopes, right? And the partnership with you guys as a place where we wanted to grow this franchise and grow the business and we moved uh, our technical recruiters and our team. We have a really experienced team with an average of about 14 years recruiting experience. We moved into that. This, uh, I, I'd call it a division, but it's actually a separate entity. And, um, and we just hit the ground running 100 miles an hour. We've been working with a lot of, a lot of the great names here at Silicon Slopes for a long time. But we just wanted a wholly focused approach, change some of the branding, change this color scheme up. Uh, wanted to deepen the relationship with you guys and, and continue that partnership. And yeah. so, um, so that's where we are. Yeah. So Great. we have eight offices between, you know, a few places here in Utah and, um, Idaho, but one in Boise. Um, but this office is just specifically done. We just focus only on tech. Got it. So you guys, uh, recruit it, others might call head hunting. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, which I always thought was cool because, um, it is, a, a, a really, uh, target rich environment out there, right? For, yeah. Uh, smart folks that can get the job done. There's other smart folks that need them, and you got to go hunting. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's an interesting matchmaking kind of an environment. Like I actually got into the business on accident. A really dear friend of mine. I was consulting other businesses for years and years, and had a good practice, and um, knew most. You know, knew a ton of CEOs and senior level leaders out here, especially in tech. And once in a while, I'd be in conversation with a CEO, and he'd say, hey, do you know a great marketing guy? We need a marketing guy. And I'd connect him with a friend of mine who's, you know, hey, go meet Scott. He's a great marketing guy. And they'd hire him as a CMO. And eventually, one of my friends was like, you should be getting paid for that. That's what we do. And in, oddly enough, in my businesses, I'd never used a staffing company or headhunting company before. And I've had a couple, a, a couple good business successes entrepreneurial-wise and a couple pretty solid failures, too, and that's part of the game. Yeah. And in, in that space, I'd always hired and fired. I probably – Hired four or five hundred people over my over my tenure. Just had never used one, so I really didn't even know that 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 was part of the business. And so um, we, uh, the the way I got into this was kind of on accident. I didn't come through a normal a normal process where you start out as a recruiter and and work your way up. I kind of came into it backwards. Yeah, and I didn't know anything about the business at that time either. So I didn't realize how 
in some ways broken the business is. The model's kind of broken, but it's such a great opportunity to say, hey, I know a really great developer that's going to be a rock star for somebody, and I know a, a position, I know a company that needs a really great developer and that skill set, and to make that marriage, and then it's, it's, it's different. It's not transactional in nature. It's really a relationship-based kind of a kind of a process where you're changing everything about that individual's life and you're potentially changing the trajectory of a company because they're able to bring in somebody with such great talent. And you just don't know where that person's going to end. A lot of the people that we've, over over my career that I've started in, you know, mid-level marketing positions have gone on to work into CMO positions or even more senior leadership than that. So it's kind of nice to see people grow up and succeed in those kind of businesses where you made the introduction and, and created the handshake. Yeah. You know? yeah and I don't think part. that's the way a lot of quote unquote recruiters or headhunters really look at the business. I look at it very non-transactional in nature. It's really relationship matchmaking. Let's find the right person for the right fit and let's dig really deep to make sure it's going to last. And then hopefully we make a marriage and let people get on with it. Yeah. And that's rewarding. Um, on a much smaller scale, we do that here because we have interns and then they matriculate into the real world. Yeah. Despite me telling you, Take your time. <laughs> right. It's not that fun. Yeah. Um, but then after a year or two, you're able to see what they've done. Yeah. And, you know, it's fun to help facilitate that. And yeah. uh, it's rewarding. Yeah, it is. It's it's different than, like, like I, I always say it's non-transactional because it's not, you know, I think there's a lot of companies or a lot of places you can go work and it, you're just a body in a booth and you're coding and it is what it is. But for whatever reason, I don't tend to represent those companies. Um, I look for companies and I work with individuals and teams and hiring managers and really specifically targeted positions that are saying, hey, we need somebody to come in and, and fill a really specific need and somebody that can be loyal for a long time, somebody that we don't have to replace and re-recruit. It's not going to get hired away because it's, you know, my clients tend to be um, a little more holistically focused in terms of the way they run their business. And in fact, a lot of my clients right now, and I think this is critical right now, are building their bench. They're some of my most successful clients and hiring managers are really looking at their recruiting efforts right now the same way a ball club would look at theirs. You know, yeah. you know, you might not need a star quarterback today, but you're going to need one in three or four years. Right. And so if you can have the mindset where you're recruiting for that future need and you can upskill that individual and invest in that individual, it solves a whole bunch of problems. One, it takes you out of that recruiting game for that great qualified person when you need them because you've already got them. Yeah. And it also builds so much loyalty internally that that person doesn't go anywhere. You know, it's, yeah. you, I, I always love the ball club analogy because, you know, they're, you know, st- like Malone was a, was a jazz player for us forever. And he was, he was our guy. Yeah. And we went to LA for a year. Everybody was really bugged by that. And everybody had to remember, wait, this is his business. He's just trying to get a ring. Yeah. Um, but you really start to identify with that team. And if you, that's because of the way he was brought in, the way he was recruited, the way he was, treated when he was here and I think if as you know talent teams and hiring managers and HR and whatnot if we can if we can build our organization holistically to, to look like that we're going to have a lot more success long term yeah that's a great way of looking at it so we, we hear quite often and those that read the, the headlines um, crisis might be a little bit dramatic but there <laughs> is a, a talent crisis right especially if you're the growing company or you're getting ready for IPO or you're just you know like we need 10 more of these types of people or we're not going to be able to, to keep yeah, up. Yeah. Um, you guys help kind of navigate that crisis. Correct? Yeah, we, we try to for sure. I mean, um, 
sometimes companies are their own worst enemy in that situation and make it really difficult to do that. But for the companies we work with, you know, we, we try to mitigate what would be a crisis by the right kind of planning. You know, there's two types of recruiting, right? There's a team that's, you, that's employed in your company, you own a tent company, and you're going to have a recruiting and HR team, and they're going to be pretty inwardly focused, meaning they're going to place job postings and the candidates are going to come in and they're going to look at the resumes and look for keywords and interview them and send them up to the hiring managers and be really reactive in nature that way, which is fine. That's probably the majority of the way most people do it. The way our team works, and I think the best headhunters in this industry, the best staffing recruiting people in this industry, go out and build as many great relationships with the right technologists as we can and foster those relationships over long term. And that doesn't mean just I got to know what your keywords are and what you're looking for and what your salary range is. That means I need to know where you're going to fill at home and I need to see the soft skills in between the keywords in your resume to find out where you're going to live best. And then on the same page, having that same kind of relationship with a hiring manager in a team or a company, but more than likely it's a specific leader in a technology division at a team that will let you inside close enough to say, okay, I know this is what you think you need from a technology standpoint, but what you really need based on my you know, external view of your team and what's happening is you need these soft skills in addition to that. And you need somebody that has this mindset and that and can integrate into the culture this way. Those things are not findable by the average and searchable by the average look at a job posting or a resume. I mean, you have to really know what to dig for. I think that comes with the maturity of having made a whole bunch of bad hiring decisions in my days, right? Like I've hired a lot of the wrong people. And I've been surprised accidentally hiring a lot of the right people too. It's not that I'm very bright. It's just sometimes the right people pop up and they get through the process and they turn out to be your rock stars. And, uh, and I think the, the key to that is for us to help people, help companies get out of their own way and solve those problems by providing the right kind of consulting. A whole bunch of what I do day in, day out isn't um, you know, out in business development. It's really sitting down over lunch with a technology leader and, and auditing their hiring process, pro, uh, process and practice and saying, look, this is where the gap is. This, mm-hmm. is. this is where, this is where you're falling short in that gap. Right. And you need to do something a little bit differently. Yeah. So. Awesome. So, uh, we've all heard horror stories or been involved in it as a candidate, right? Mm, yeah. Whether it's entry level, you're growing senior C-suite, um, we've had a bunch of interns go through uh, you know, job processes, and they'll go weeks or even months without even a you're out, you're out, you're in. Yeah, you're in consideration. my language right now. It's true. So you you care deeply about the candidate experience, right? Yeah. You CI CX. Yeah, I wrote a yeah I wrote an article uh, years ago. Um, you know, everybody talks about CX for candidate experience or customer experience. Yeah. And we talk about UX UI for a user interface, But at the time, nobody was talking about candidate experience. And I'm not talking about the experience that a candidate brings to the table, but I'm talking about the experience that a candidate has from the time they see your job posting till they get either a rejection letter or an offer. And um, I'm a little bit evangelical about that because I think, by and large, it's really rare that I see a company that invests the amount of time and money that they could or should be investing in that process. I, I'm, it's a bit of a throwaway process for a lot of folks, and, it, and you can tell that by the type of people that they have running that process in there. You wouldn't give 
a user experience process to somebody who really didn't have a firm grasp on what that story needed to look like. Well, in the same way, um, that article, it got a, a fair amount of attention um, because I was saying, look, you've got to invest the same amount of eyeballs and attention and money and development into the experience that your candidate has as they go all the way through that process. And I get it. It's hard. Um, you know, I get told by leadership out here all the time, like, as a hiring manager, you, you, have to, you have to run your business and run your team and meet your deadlines and you're accountable. But a portion of your job is also building that team and making sure you have the right people. And it's difficult to, to separate that time, which is, I think, where we step in sometimes and make the biggest difference for people. But not, I don't want to be a sales pitch here, but I'm saying if you don't invest the eyeballs, the intention, the time in, in crafting a really solid rejection letter, Mm-hmm. or preferably phone call um, in addition to the really great offer letter that you're because you're going to have four or five or six rejection letters every time you have an offer letter if you're doing your job right but you're also going to have 30 or 40 people who never made it even to the point where they were going to have a second or third interview and those people need to be kid gloved too because I've lost track of the number of times when we live in this market right now where things move so fast that you know a candidate will bubble up through uh, the process, and they'll win, and they'll get an offer letter. And by the time they get all through that, and they finally get the offer letter, those guys are gone to somebody else who just did it faster than you did it. Yeah. And so then you go on to okay, well, my backup, my number two choice was, but you treated that person so poorly that they don't want anything to do with your company. And so, in my col- in my consulting career, I used to, I had a client one time that who had this um, saying that they're. Their customer is their greatest asset, and it's true. They were. These guys just focused on their customer, and it was their greatest asset. But I always used to ask them, who's your customer? Like if you're a sales guy, you're out in the marketplace, yeah, your customer is the buyer, somebody that's going to spend money on your product or service. But if you're a CEO, your customer is actually your executive team. If you're the executive team, your customer is the mid-level management that you're out pushing out your agenda and push and, and executing. And if you're a recruiter or in talent or a headhunter or internal to that, even HR, your customer is the candidate. And you just don't know when that person's going to bubble up and turn into something. You know, I, I've had a handful of instances this year where I'm recruiting for a really solid company up here in South Jordan, and their hiring process was so broken over years past that they that I would call somebody, we'd go through the process, I would divulge who the company was, and I've had clients say, not interested. Yeah. Because they got burned so bad in that. And these are senior level people, CMO level people that you don't, you don't burn those guys. You don't burn anybody. You don't burn a help desk person either. Yeah. But um, you just don't know when that, you know, entry level marketing person that's coming through as an intern is going gonna, is gonna to be the rock star that you're going to need as a CMO five, six, seven, eight, 12, 15 years from now. And if you just have dedicated eyeballs to make sure that process is clean all the way through. It's not hard. It's just that nobody puts the, not nobody, few people put the attention on it that they should to really make the biggest difference that they could make in that process. And so that's heavy lifting and I get it. And I talk to hiring managers all the time. They're like, yeah, tell me when I'm going to do all that. Like I don't have enough hours in the day as it is. I'm just trying to launch. And um, so I always say hire me. We'll do the heavy lifting. But exactly. There you go. We'll do the heavy lifting for you. So, yeah, it, it boils down to kind of the you know golden rule, or you can get more bees with honey than vinegar. But to your point, like if uh, 
a qualified person went through a process and, and it was bad, um, they might, you know, throw shade for 20 years on that company yeah. just for that, yeah. for that one reason. Um, and uh, I've had, you know, friends and colleagues that have been told no, uh, but the process was so good yeah. and they thought the company and the people were so fun yeah. and, and kind that they're like, oh, still a great company. Yeah. Now that's the, the yeah. reaction you want. Yeah. Not, that's a sweet company, but they're all a bunch of bums. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's sad because, you know, a lot of time the, the leadership and the people that are driving the mission and the culture are phenomenal people. I mean, in almost every case I know down here, with very few exceptions, they're just amazing quality humans. But because they don't put attention four levels down where they're now making those, opening those doors to potential candidates, um, it, those things can get muddied a little bit and somebody can judge, judge your, uh, you know, we just, I just got back from a vacation with my family in the, in Florida and you know, you have to be careful not to judge the entire franchise of the hotel you're staying at because of the interaction with one person who was just having a bad day. But right. as humans, that's what we do a lot of times. And it's hard to, it's obviously hard to plug all those holes. But it's harder when you don't put any attention or any eyeballs on it or any, put any time and money into it. And I just think if people are deliberate in the way they think about that process from beginning to end, the way we are in user experience, the way we are in candidate experience, then you know, we're all better off for that process. So whether they involve my company or our company or not, we're all better off for the process if we can take better care of the people that are coming through the revolving door one way or the other with us. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I know you're um, interested and passionate about is uh, kind of hiring local. Um, so I think 2020 proved that you could hire uh, people from anywhere yeah. on planet Earth to do yeah. pretty much anything. Um, but uh, like, you know, Utah, Idaho is a pretty big, a geographic footprint and yeah. you know three or four million people. Yeah, um, there is an advantage even if it is a remote hire that they're still in the local ecosystem and community, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's it was it was unknown for me honestly how that was going to play out because tech by and large was already pretty well prepared to distribute, so we could get out and work remotely and use some of the tools that we needed to because we were used to doing that anyway. Especially you know we. We used to have to try and convince our clients to let us hire somebody remote who's a security engineer and but needed to be home at a certain time or you know didn't want to be on site eighty hours a week, obviously. Right. So now it's the opposite. Now, once we figured out as a as an industry and in this space that we can work pretty effectively remote, then we noticed that a lot of people were saying, "Well, look, there isn't enough talent in Utah right now as it is. This is the biggest. I think it is a crisis. It's the biggest challenge we've got. We could graduate everybody from every college and university here, and not fill the needs of just one of our clients, sure. right? Yeah. Um, for growth. But so, what do you do? You make the decision to not grow, or you make the decision to go to Detroit and hire somebody that's in Detroit or Minneapolis or or you know Mumbai or someplace, and you you grow. You do what you have to do." But I am pretty um, vocal right now about if you have the choice, go hire locally because it supports our overall community. Our housing market is insane right now, as you yeah. know. And, you know, the more technologists, highly paid people we bring in from the outside, the harder it is for the average family in Utah to buy a house. It's already out of reach for most, you know, most young people. So, you know, it's great that we're starting people out at great salaries, but if we can hire locally, we should. The challenge with that is that if you're just relying on 
reactive job board inbound applications for that. You're only getting, you know, the people that are actively on the market. And I think that if companies were internally saying, look, we're going to think about, like I said before, we're going to think about our, our talent acquisition process like a ball club and we're going to go hire for who we're going to need in three or four years. We're going to go out and find those people and start building those relationships because if you can, if, if your internal team will have the focus that my internal team has to have, like we have to as external guys, we have to bring value to the table, which means I have to have relationships with a hundred developers that are phenomenal people and I need to know their names and their spouses and their family situations and what their dreams and goals are in life. And the same with product and the same with security and the same with cloud. We have to have a lot of those relationships. Because when somebody calls me and say, hey, John, I need this position. I need cybersecurity with this focus and that, you know, and, and, you know, the ability to head this direction in our company. Then I've got six or seven people who are currently quiet, happy, sitting in another company someplace, doing their deal, and they're not telling anybody else that they want to move until they've told me, if you find the right thing where there's this potential or there's equity or there's a bonus structure or there's the ability for me to do this, whatever it looks like. But I know that we go to that well of talent, just like a, you know, a a scout would at a, at a major ball club and say, I'm going to go find that person and bring it back. And as part of that, you have to know what to look for. You have to know what to not look for. And that just comes a little bit of experience. But I think if people can focus on that too, as an outward focus, make sure that part of their team's um, responsibility is to be as outward focused as they possibly can be in building those relationships, then that's great. It's challenging because even most internal recruiting teams are filled with transactional kind of people where they don't plan on being there a long time. They're going to move up through the process into something else. So it's hard for a transactional kind of individual who may only be in that department for two or three years to build the kind of relationship with the talent that they need to have out in the world. So I get that. That's, it's kind of self-defeating in some ways. But again, I'm, and I'm not sales pitch guy here, really trying not to be that guy. But that's one of the benefits of being in my seat is that I can invest 10 or 15 years in a relationship. And someday that relationship's going to be made with the right company at the right time and change both their lives, which yeah. is the goal, right? It's great. Everybody gets paid. But I love sitting around a table at the end where everybody wins. You know, the company found the right person. The candidate found the right company. Our company actually got paid. freaks me out sometimes. We get paid to make matches like that, but we do. Everybody wins in that situation. So yeah, no, it's an interesting uh, business model, interesting market, but it's also fun and filling, and obviously much needed. Yeah. A um, couple more questions. So we've got a knife here. <laughs> we do. You got one of my knives. Yeah. Um, really pretty, sharp. Yeah. Knife. What's the What's the story behind the knife? So um, Ron Zarbach, who owns our company, is a super philanthropically minded individual, right? He's really charity focused. And um, he's always looking for ways to be in outreach and in, you know, outward focused contribution to our community. We are, our mission really is about helping people build their careers and then giving back to the communities we serve. And it's not something we say, but it's something we really do. So we're always in some focused contribution to a, a, a cause. Um, and this is one of those, especially that company, the uh, No Box that makes those knives is a Series B company. I love them to death. They have great products. Not a sales pitch for them either, but I love them. They're in Sugar House. And we wanted to source a product from that kind of an organization to give to 
our some of our tech leadership here in town. And it's frankly, it's a way that I open the door. But we have a, it's um, it's a really nice handmade knife. They figured out a way to make it. You know, Damascus steel is a super expensive, super hard, very sharp steel. And the guy that engineered this figured out a way to put Damascus steel on the on the cutting edge, and normal steel on this top edge, and keep it super sharp and keep it pretty affordable too. Mm-hmm. And we branded it with uh, you know our mission. We have a we have a launch program right now: Dream Big, Work Better, Give Back. And um, and the reason we say that is that every time our company places a candidate either in a contract contract to hire or a direct hire position with a company, we make a donation to that company's a matching donation to that company's um, cause. So whatever they are passionate about, whatever our client gives money to, we make a matching donation to for every client for every year that they hire. And there's no cap to that. So if we bring, you know, we have a thousand people employed in Salt Lake right now. It's very on between all the branches and in across all the divisions. So you know, there's no cap to that. If we employ a thousand people at a company, we'll make a, a donation to that company's charity every year for every year that person's employed. That's great. It's just a way we feel like, you know, we talk about work, dream big, work better, give back. And we mean it and we show up and we do it and we serve and, you know, we serve at our clients' events when they're doing something great for a charity. We just feel like that's important to do. I think that's one of the things that differentiates us, again, because we're not transactional in nature. We're really focused on building relationships and having um, long-term relationships, partnerships. The way we enter a partnership is very strategically focused where we want to be a resource to our client. So there will be people that will call me all the time and say, Hey, I, I can't, we're not in the position right now. We're, you know, we're starting up, we're in startup mode. We can't afford the fee, but we would like you to help us design a hiring process to, to make sure we don't step on our, you know, our own feet. Right. So, um, so we'll do that because we want to build that long-term relationship with yeah. that company. And that's why we have so many great relationships yeah. um, with people now. And so, yeah, if you know somebody wants to, really cool knife let me know I'll drop one off at their office and i'm super low-key like i'm not mr sales pitch guy i'm not going to close anybody this is a big deal to be in relationship with somebody and trusted with we represent someone's brand out in the marketplace so somebody says hey come in help us find this product owner um you know we take that pretty seriously because we're on the front end of that we're doing the heavy lifting but we represent your brand yeah so every single person that crosses our threshold is going to leave that process with a great feeling about your brand, whether they're not considered for interview or they go through the interview process and they're rejected or, you know, hopefully they get an offer and they move through. Everybody's yeah. going to have a good vibe about the brand. So Absolutely. And that's important. Yeah, you got to open doors and you can do it with like a pen and mint or yeah. like a cool Squishy ball. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we. I am a weapons dealer. I feel like I have some of these in my truck and I'm driving around <laughs> during the day. I feel a little bit like a weapons dealer, but it's something that nobody's seen before and it's beautiful. Um, again, we want to separate ourselves a little bit. We're not handing them out at a, we're not handing them out at a trade show. Yeah, um, we really want. You look at it and it's 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 obvious. Like I'm a marketing guy at heart, right? So I want every time, and you've probably done this when you're using yours. Hopefully, in a not weird way, you're thinking about me. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so yeah, we like cool. it. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, for man. Taking thanks, your time. thanks for having me. I love it. Straight off the plane from Florida. Yeah. Look all right the paddest you're ever going to see me. I'm normally pretty pasty. So. <laughs> cool. Thank you so all much. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.